Our scripture reading this morning is in 1 John chapter 3. We will read the scripture and then we will pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. 1 John chapter 3. And stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we are surprised, we are shocked that the world would hate us, would hate our brothers and sisters. And yet, you tell us that 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 is a part of this world because the evil one hates you. And so why would his followers not hate children of God. And so, Lord, today we do pray. We pray for those who are undergoing persecution. While we thank you for our freedoms, we pray for those who cannot gather today or must do it in secret out of fear of imprisonment, of torture, or of death. We are grateful to you that you have seen fit to give us those freedoms. But all the more, we sense the responsibility to pray for those who do not have it. Help them, Lord, to be mighty and powerful witnesses for you. Give them hearts of peace. Help them not to fall into hatred for those who would persecute them, but to show the love of Christ. We pray for them. We ask that you would open our hearts to your word today, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. 
Amen. Be seated. We have uh, we've talked about the the Gnostics and how uh, they this this group that said it's really a secret how how one can have a relationship with God, but they love to to make contrasts, and so uh, they would make a contrast between the the physical and the spiritual world, and especially light and darkness. And so here in this book and in the passage before us today, John uses that very methodology to contrast two prototypes, and that is Cain and Christ. John isn't introducing a a new subject here. Uh, Many have called that in this book the social test uh, that will help us know if we are really children of the living God, as John says, or children of the devil. He, he, he says there's, in essence, there's, there's no in-between. There's no mixture. You are one or you are the other. And the beauty of this book is that it, it tells us how we can know. Back in verse 10 that we uh, used last week, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then he goes on, verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, John is about to expand on that, and he does it by using Cain and the account of, of Cain. Uh, we see this in, in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? So uh, back in Genesis, we have the account of Cain and Abel, the sons of, of Adam and Eve. Cain, the older son, killed his younger brother, Abel. It was, sometimes we just kind of skim over that, Cain, Cain killed Abel. But what's used here in terms of the description is it was a brutal murder. He butchered his brother is what it's saying. We don't really see much in Genesis about uh, interpretation as to, to why he killed him other than Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, but Cain's wasn't. There was jealousy, there was envy, and that led to murder. So fast forward in the scripture to Hebrews, and we find that uh, Abel's offering was by faith and therefore acceptable to God. Cain's offering evidently was not by faith. Evidently, it was an outward exercise of religion, not by faith, but just going through the motions. 
And God accepted the sacrifice of Abel, but not the sacrifice of the one that was going through religious motions. And then we go forward to 1 John, we find out even even more. And by the way, this is a good example of what we call in the scripture progressive revelation, where the farther we go into scripture, there are doctrines and there are things that we learn about God that that uh, if all we had was a, a book in the Old Testament or the Old Testament, we wouldn't know as much. For instance, uh, a, a good example would be uh, the Holy Spirit, where we see the Spirit, and looking back, we can see He's right there in Genesis, but we don't know as much about him, but it's added all the way through Scripture until we get to the New Testament, and then we see the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. That's progressive revelation. We even see that here in terms of uh, Cain and these offerings. Verse 12 again, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? John asks the question why he murdered his brother. And the reason he asks the question is that there are some that might presume, well, Abel probably deserved it. Or maybe Abel was evil. Maybe it was self-defense or, or something like that. And he says, no, the answer is just the opposite of that. He answers his own question because his own deeds were evil and his brothers, that's able, righteous. So in terms of Cain and this world, verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We just saw a video. We are reminded that there are believers all over uh, the, the world that are going through difficulties, even as we speak. And it is ongoing, and it will be ongoing until Christ comes back. It is our responsibility, not just once a year, to pray for those brothers and sisters, but to, to ask God to bring that to mind so that we can pray for their strengthening every single day. We can be saddened about it, but we need to pray. But why does that happen? Why is that hatred there? Well, John says it shouldn't come as a surprise to us. In fact, it could be translated, stop being surprised. Now, why is that? Well, I don't know anyone that likes the idea of being hated But what we see is that if we are in Christ, we understand that the evil one hated him. If we are followers of him, why should we be surprised that the evil one would not put his forces up against us? So here's the difference. We should not be like Cain toward them. And that's what he's getting at here. 
we as believers, as, as children of the living God, should not resort to hatred, to murder, because the gospel has changed the true believer. That's his emphasis here. Love is at the heart of the gospel and should be the fruit to one who is truly a child of the living God. John expands on that in the next verses, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death unto life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So people in John's day and also in Jesus' day and actually in our day too want to take the easy route when it comes to to commands. They want to focus just on the outward, on 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 doing what what's the minimum? Nobody says it this way, but what's the minimum I need to do in order to have a relationship with God? And that's never acceptable to just focus on the outward, on outwardly keeping the commands. Because after all, that's what Cain did. In our days, there are some that take comfort in legalistic uh, teaching where just give me the rules. Give me what I'm supposed to not do and, and, and I, I won't do them or I'll try not to do them. Some want a rule for everything. It's easier. Jesus would not allow that focus on the outward. In the Sermon on the Mount, which we are having a great time jumping into on, on Wednesday afternoons in the uh, 55 plus study, but Jesus said this, Uh, In Matthew 5, verse 21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, some people would go, yeah, and you know what? I have never murdered anyone. And then Jesus ratchets it up far beyond to where that person that would say, yeah, I'm good. I've never murdered anyone. He says, verse 22, Matthew 5, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, Does Jesus' definition not make all of us guilty of murder and liable to punishment? It does. It does make us liable. And that should send us right back to Christ, to the cross, to the gospel. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, it gets real practical. And he says this in the, next, in the very next phrase. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you go to worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He said, look, here's how Christians, here's how my followers deal with this. 
this is even more important, he says, than worship. These relationships must be fixed and then worship. He doesn't say don't worship, but he says that is what the love that I give is. And so uh, John takes us right back to Christ. And we see in verse 16 a view of the love of Christ. Uh, By this we know love, the first part of the verse, that he laid down his life for us. Now, uh, this is one of those little uh, uh, trivia things. Anybody here like trivia? There are some that, that, that do. Uh, but a, a, a thing that some have pointed out, and that is the, the relationship between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. John 3.16 talks about the love of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The love of the Father. And then in 1 John 316, we see the love of the Father applied as the love of Christ for his people. By this we know love that he laid his life, down his life for us. So Jesus didn't just talk about love, he showed love. Self-sacrificing love in him laying down his own life. Now look at the contrast between that and Cain. If if hatred is taking the life of another and is the greatest sin that you can commit against another, then laying down your own life for another is the greatest sacrifice that can be made. And that's what John's saying. Look, look at the love of Christ. What's, What's this mean to us? And He goes on in verse 16 and 17. By this we know uh, love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, in the video about the persecuted church, there are people laying down their lives. But for most of us, we won't be called to lay down our lives for other believers. We may. We could, but probably not. So John, amazingly, gives a practical application uh, for believers in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We should be amazed at how accessible John makes love for us. He takes it from Jesus showing his love on the cross, saying we should be willing to lay down our lives, but knowing full well that most of us won't be called to that. And so he doesn't let us off the hook of saying, well, you know, I I would theoretically if it ever came to that. But he he takes it right into our lives and says, look, here's a way you can show your love for your brothers. And he makes it amazingly accessible 
to us. It's within our reach to do so. That's having a heart open enough to others that we will actually share our world's goods. That's how he puts it. Now, this is such a great time of year. And St. Andrew's is always wonderful in terms of opportunities for these things and the response of our congregation for these things. But especially this time of year, we, we have been doing Operation Christmas Child, sending, preparing boxes that will be sent all over the world. And uh, we, we've started the Deacon's Thanksgiving food collection. Right here in our community, there are people that don't have food for Thanksgiving. And we help with that. Snack packs that the, for uh, students over at Crossroads that, that wouldn't, according to the social workers there, wouldn't have food over the weekend if they weren't being supplied something to take home. And we give them food and they take it home in their backpack. What they do with it, we hope that it helps. Happy Wheels, toys for children in the hospital. Opportunities that, that we have to be real practical. And you know what? This is pure ministry. Those things are. Because you know what those things won't do? They won't grow our church. We won't benefit from any of those things. But that's not the point. That's why it's pure ministry. We do it out of a love for Christ and to show love then to others. James 2 verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, uh, go in peace, be warm and, and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. It is, it's hard not to become cynical, isn't it, in our day when it comes to things like this. We have those that are, are, are pitting different economic uh, levels of people against each other. And John reminds us, that generosity should follow our love because Christ was so generous with us. Here at the church, uh, we have people that, that walk in and, and have needs. And uh, our deacons have, have put together just a, a, an excellent, I think, procedure uh, so that we are helping and not hurting them. Because there's always that question, if we give, is this gonna, just going to hurt them? And so, you know, they will, they will have them fill out things and interview them and so on. And, and where there is need and they're cooperative, we, we help and we have helped many. In the book Love Expressed, it deals with objections uh, when it comes to giving. And, and that's why 
basing our giving on the work of Christ and the generosity of God is essential. Here's, here's some things from that book. It says, we might be tempted to say, well, it's my money. I worked hard for it. And then the question is, what if Jesus said, my blood is my own? Why should I give it away? He showed pure giving. Neither should we grasp our possessions as if they were our own. They're given to us by God. Some might be concerned that the people in need don't deserve help for one reason or another. What if Jesus said, these sinners are undeserving of my blood, so I won't give it to them. All of us are undeserving of his gift to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Us being undeserving did not stop Jesus from giving. Some are concerned when they give to others in in need that they might misuse the money. What if Jesus said, men and women might abuse my salvation? He knew that that many would. Many would reject his blood and even use that as an excuse to sin more. But he didn't say any of those things. He came and he gave freely and generously and lovingly. So let me just warn you. You will be tested in this. Not by me. But you're going to be tested. And if I didn't already know it, let me tell you why I'm quite certain of that. Yesterday I came in here and I, I, I needed to meet with somebody. And then I preached through the sermon, went back and reworked some things and so on. And uh, then I, I needed to go over to Harbison for something. And I should have known better. But... Uh, <laughs> after working on this kind of a sermon. So I'm, I'm in a parking lot, and someone walks toward me and says, uh, can you help me get some food? And I said, be warm and well-fed, and I got in my car and left. <laughs> well, you know, you know what would have been easier to avoid catching his eye? I saw him walking toward me. I had an idea what was going to happen. And so, out of conviction, I felt the need to help him. But let me tell you the test. Even while I was doing that, and I got out my wallet, I stepped away a little bit, I got my wallet out, and I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm confessing this, I was thinking to myself, I hope I have something less than a 20 here, you know. <laughs> it's just reality. And so I helped him a little bit. He may be the wealthiest man on Harbison by now. And we will be tested. 
And I'm not telling you, you need to do what I did. But this is what God says to us. To look into our hearts. And that's where generosity should come from. As he says, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The love of Christ, if it is in us, will show itself in deed and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we we would pray that you would give us wisdom. When we try to help people, we don't want to hurt them. But we also don't want to become cynical like our world is. So help us not to be murderers, not to fall into those traps, but to follow the one who gave everything for we who were undeserving, unappreciative, and yet were given to anyway. So will you... Will you help us in this by your spirit? Will you help Christ in us to be our generosity? We pray it in his name. Amen.